James Bond squares off against the evil Spectre organization in a pulse-pounding race to seize the Soviet Lecter decoding machine. His mission thrusts him into a thrilling boat chase, a brutal helicopter attack, and a deadly brawl aboard the Orient Express, proving once again that Agent 007 can't be stopped. Making its premiere on the 10th of October 1963 in London and opening in the USA several months later on the 8th of April 1964, From Rush With Love is the second James Bond film and cost $2 million to make and brought in $78.9 million. Starring Sean Connery, directed by Terence Young, the vital statistics are Conquests 4, Martinis 0, Kills 17, Bond James Bonds 0. Variety said, From Rush With Love is a preposterous, skillful slab of hard-hitting, sexy hokum. After a slowish start, it is directed by Terence Young at a zingy pace. I'm your host, James Page from MI6HQ.com and the magazine MI6 Confidential, and welcome to a special episode of James Bond and Friends Debrief. This week we are doing From Rush With Love to coincide with it being released in cinemas in the UK, and today I am joined by Bill Koenig, David Lee, and Sean Longbottom. Hokum is a word that should come back more, isn't it? Right. It's a great word. <laughs> What's funny is, in the variety <laughs> reviews of the first like seven or eight films, it's used in every single one of them. So. Um... <laughs> When I was in high school, I actually like looked up uh, the original 1963 reviews, and they were like really positive. Like yeah. people really liked it. So first category is the one with. So what is the motif you could hang your hat on for this film? If you imagine a minimalist poster, or the one thing that stands out. If you close your eyes, what's the thing you see or hear when you think of from Russia with Love? So the one with, and who would like to go first? Uh, I- can I go first? The one with Fleming's World. Ooh. I, th- Ooh. I think this is like one of the best representations of Ian Fleming's world as depicted in the uh, novels. It, 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 I, I think it's like really great. Okay. Uh, I am going to go for the one with the stolen cipher machine. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, oh, you guys are taking the good ones now. Um, I, I was see my instinct was kind of go, to go be like, oh, it's the one with Russia and the one with the Soviet Union, but actually that's kind of a um, that's kind of, that's kind of a sort of backseat to it all. Um, so I, it's, it's the one with the espionage, really, isn't it? It's the biggest sort of Cold mm. War thriller out of the old one. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good one, Sean. So the meat of this conversation is around the Bond cocktail. So. A lot of people kind of break. I've tried to break down the Bond formula into several categories. Um, we've got teaser, titles, plot, women, villains, allies, Bond himself, action, locations, dialogue, and style. Which of these ingredients for From Russia With Love do you think is somehow unique to this particular film and why? Uh, what's special about it for this film? And it could be positive or negative. So who would like to pick an ingredient from the cocktail? Can I? Uh... Because I would go with teaser because, in a way, it was kind of accidental. Because Peter Hunt in the editing bay uh, changed the order of some sequences, and that's how mm. what we now consider the pre-title sequence got created. Uh, because originally that sequence was not supposed to be first. This is according to the uh, uh, making of uh, featurette on the home video. So this started that whole, uh, that whole tradition. So I, I would go with teaser. I think From Russia Love is a really good example of, of explaining to people how filmmaking is three parts. One part's writing, one part's shooting, and one part's editing. 
Yes. And this this film really lent into editing being a key component of it with him. Fi- I mean, Peter Hunt fixed several scenes, didn't he? Um, and reorganized the story, as you say, uh, which was, you know, not director Terence Young's original vision for the film. No, which which is actually a credit to Young, I would say, the fact that he let uh, Hunt do that. I mean, they were friends, so that, that explains a lot right. of it. But, uh, yeah, it, but, it, you know, again, that's why I put teaser. And it's the first of several instances we've we come to learn in the series where Bond's death is faked or is a fake out or an audience is tricked about Bond's fate. Right, which what I what do you think, think audiences they, thought of it back in the day? But I and I think that may have been a Harry Saltzman idea. I mean, Saltzman seemed to be obsessed by this, but yeah, but I think that you know that was a Harry Saltzman idea to start with. Yeah, I mean the yeah. What what, what did audience of the t- of the time think? Well, they they saw with their own, with their own eyes that James Bond had just been killed, but I can't believe they really thought that. <laughs> <laughs> there was a bit more of the film to go. Uh, well, well, I'll tell you, I saw it as a 13-year-old in 1971 as part of a double feature, and it's like, I didn't think he was really killed, but like, I was shocked. <laughs> it, it They sucked me in, like, let me put it that way. It's like, I, it was something I was not expecting. Wait till you get to No Time to Die. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, I know. Well, yeah, but I wasn't. People but, getting up and leaving the theater or destroyed. But I wasn't 13 year old with uh, no time to die. It's like, I was 13 year olds when I saw from Russia with love. Like what? Whoa! Um, do you, do you think there was any sort of um, when that sequence was produced? Was there any sort of basis on the end of the book for that? Oh, that's no. a good point. No, no, there wasn't because, and I can say this because I saw the movie first in 1971, and then I read the book later in 1971 because there was a reissue of a of a few uh ian fleming titles and it's like no that was that's strictly a a filmmaker thing um what are you getting at sean is that maybe they came up with the idea because of the cliffhanger yeah maybe they were playing on people that had read the book so they were like right we're gonna get it out of the way and kill him straight away and then fake it out Mm. So maybe it kind of like sets up that idea that maybe yeah, James no, Bond it, can it, die it, subconsciously. It, but it, yeah, it, it could could have been quite a, a subconscious um, uh, influence, though. Absolutely, yeah. I, I like that idea. Very possibly, very possibly. I mean, but, obviously, but again, other than other than setting up Red Grant as a threat, it means nothing to the story. Right? Yeah, but the thing is, it's so short. It's like two minutes, one minute fifty-two seconds. That's excellent. So, I think it's um, the shortest of the series. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it, it real, but it really does psych you up for what comes as a first-time viewer. Let me put it that way: it really psychs you up for what mm. comes after. All right, teaser. Good point, Bill. First one of the series, and they kind of hit it out of the park. Um, who wants to go for another cocktail ingredient? Ooh, well, I, I can kind of play on that. Um, I guess with I'm going for style. The cheeky style that can mean basically anything, I guess. <laughs> um, but in terms of uh, visual style of the film, and in particular sort of cinematography, um, you kind of get a, a bit of a pivot from Dr. No. And I guess the production design, not having Ken Adam kind of played to this as well, um, where you suddenly get a much more Hitchcockian style looking film. Um, there's much more sort of 
uh, people in shadows. It's not as sort of bright and technicolor as Doctor No is, and it mm. kind of it it doesn't about turn from Doctor No where that can occasionally feel sort of um, comic booky in a way, particularly towards the end with the fight with Doctor No. Um, this kind of suddenly you're grounded in a very real looking world. Also, just to reinforce what Sean just said, in terms of style, when Bond arrives at the uh, Istanbul airport, that scene is played or is staged in a similar fashion to as when Bond arrived at the Kingston airport, but there like, were a few differences. Mm. But it, like, if you had seen the first two movies, it would seem very fami- familiar with, to you, but it's like there are key differences. Because, okay, the, the guy who meets Bond is really his ally, not a fake ally like Mr. Jones was in Dr. No. Do you get given what though, I mean? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, given that they were the same production team, um, Sean, is what you're saying that there must have been a conscientious decision? I don't, I don't know if it was conscious or just something that happened sort of accidentally. Um, I, guess the, I guess the sort of conscious decision was to focus on the – Going back to the sort of script and the book, it's kind of From Us With Love is one of the more grounded stories anyway. Um, but I guess it's just kind of, it's it's that, again, playing up to that thing of espionage and spy and sort of saying James Bond is a real character in the real world rather than being a superhero right. kind of character. And that's kind of really done, told really well through the through the cinematography, through the the colour, through the set and production design, it's all very, it's all very grounded throughout, and but shot really sort of elegantly and poetically. Mm-hmm. And I like I, what you were saying there, Bill, as well about the sort of symmetry with it matching up with Doctor No in terms of the airport. And you're right, I guess someone watching that for the first time, having seen Doctor No, will be like, oh, "Where's this going?" David, would you like to pick one? Yeah, well, from the cocktail recipes. Yeah, for, for me, um, I think this is Sean Connery at peak Bond um, because after Doctor No, they knew that uh, it wasn't a one-off. Um, but it's also because it's before Goldfinger. He he plays Bond without being the um, you know in in a less kind of knowing way. And I think by by Goldfinger, it was it was a bit bit too much and uh uh and it was like it, it was like he was in on the joke that there was that bond was mm. this big phenomenon and um i think in in from russia with love he you know that there's the thing in his hotel room when he's, he orders breakfast and then and green figs yogurt coffee very black and uh it's just i i think connery is, is fantastic in it really uh really plays Bond very very well, and for for this for that reason, I think this actually is the best James Bond film. It's a good one. Um, I think I, I agree with you completely, David. I think when he gets to Goldfinger, I mark Bond. I mark that film down for the way Connery plays Bond as too comfortable and cocky and confident. Yeah. Um, and and self, yeah, as you say, he's in on the joke by then in that film. Um. Conversely, I kind of mark Dr. No down a little bit for his performance as Bond because he plays Bond as kind of a little bit petulant and brash and he gets irritated easily and he's not as cool and calm as he should be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you're right. From Russia of Love, he nails it. Absolutely nails it. 
And we've got to remember, I mean, these things were shot almost back to back, almost compared to today's schedule. They were yeah, shot back to back. Yeah. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, in fact, they started location shooting today on this day in 1963. I don't know how much, t- you know, the, it obviously, Dr. No had been out in the UK. It hadn't opened in the US yet. Um, and how much of that was Terence Young directing Connery differently or Connery just feeling a bit more comfortable in his own skin at this point? Yeah, I, 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 I don't know what it was. I, I, I guess, I, I guess the first film. Maybe he didn't think that the first film was going to work out so well, and uh, and you know everyone was surprised at how well Doctor No did. So uh, that must give you a huge confidence boost. You know everybody. So and you know there was more money around it as well, and so that all must make a difference. Well, and also they knew that uh, the novel was like this international success and it was like on both sides of the Atlantic because thanks to John F. Kennedy, which we'll talk about later, but mm. it was it was like hugely successful. And like you had to know this movie was probably going to turn out pretty well at the box office, even when you were filming it. Um, it was, I mean, there was just so much buzz around it. Um, Anyway, I'll leave it at that. Has anybody um, seen we've got a little time to play with? Does anyone anybody think of any of those elements that are the weak point of this film compared to the series on average? Um, I, I guess you could you could kind of um, you could kind of look at the titles as being. I, I think these they're a bit of an oddity these ones um, mm. because they're by Robert Brown John rather than um, Morris Binder. Um, and you're playing with projection the whole way through rather than sort of designed elements and layered film elements. So right. there's a sort of different style to the titles and you also get an, an, an instrumental song, of course. Um, right. So I, I don't know if I never, I never see the From Rush With Love titles topping anyone's title uh, sequence list. I, I, do you know, I, I, I do like the titles, Sean, um, but the because it's projected, a, a lot of the time it's out of focus. And uh, I think if it were done today, that they could do they could do the same thing where it, they where it, they simulated project projection onto uh, onto onto a, a, a stomach, but um, but actually. Uh, use CGI to do it, so it's all in focus. I think that I think it, that right. could work really well. Well, I I would just say in terms of action, in terms of our uh, checklist, just because yes, I know back then you did rear projection, but like even even then, I suspect it was kind of dodgy. You know, with like like when uh, oh the helicopter goes down later in the film. You know, I mean there's there's just some rear real dodgy rear projection throughout the yeah. movie yeah but venice on the canal yes that's... that too yeah so but i mean that's in my mind that's a minor quibble but yeah I, can't... I, 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 I it's not it's not something that's ever going to put me off a film right but yeah. you can't ignore it because yeah. again yeah. again you know yeah again venice and oh other things yeah just yeah, yeah. I, I too had action on my list of weak points, Bill. But then I think of the train fight, and it kind of to me that yeah that pays for a lot of sins elsewhere in the film. Yeah, but the, <laughs> um, I, I I was going to mention the train fight. I, I was split between that and 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 Connery uh, for for my Bond yeah. cocktail. 
because yeah. the the train fight is so good and th- there's nothing really in in the series until casino royale like that i think yeah the stairwell it, fight it's, it's is so the brutal and it's claustrophobic it's brilliant mm. and helped by the editing yeah. I, I think it's also kind of helped by the pace of what's come before it and the tension um, because a great sort of action sequence, like you don't need lots of action in a film for it to be effective, but it, it feels earned in From Russia With Love. So there's right. like so much tension that comes up before it and you're kind of like, what's going to happen? And, yeah. and then there's that point, there's that little sort of exchange between Red Grant and Bond in the carriage where it's all kind of unfolded. And you're, you, you're kind of on the edge of your seat. You're ready for something to happen. And it kind of plays out a little bit longer than it should. And right. then when the fight happens, it feels really earned and really sort of rewarding to watch rather than just being a punch-up that's put in there for the sake of it. Yeah, so compare that to Spectre, mm-hmm. right, where the, the, din- the dinner conversation is between Bond and Madeline and there's no threat of tension. And then all of a sudden, Hinks pops out of nowhere. Um, and the fight is equally brutal, but it doesn't feel like it to me mm-hmm. um, compared to from Russia because you haven't, as you say, you haven't had that buildup of suspense and waiting for like the coiled spring, you know. Um, well, in terms of that buildup of suspense, like you know, when you have Bond and Grant in the in the train compartment, and Bond says he asks a question, and Grant just says "uh huh," and then he asks another question "uh huh." And then finally, mm. like he says, I don't mind talking, but yeah, like that dragged out the tension a bit. That's one of the things I watched before the recording <laughs> that sequence. But uh, yeah, I mean, Robert Shaw is great in this in this film, so I'll just leave it at that. Okay, moving on to underappreciated element. What thing, big or very very small? Would you like to bring to people's attention for the next, for the next time they watch this movie? Okay, yeah. Can I go first on this? Yep. Because right, everyone knows that Grant should not have ordered red wine with his fish. Yeah. Apparently. But, yeah. Okay. He asked for Chianti, and the wine waiter asked if he wanted the white kind. He said no, the red. But uh, Chianti is only a red wine. So the wine waiter was a fraud. So I don't know what he was doing there. <laughs> Maybe he was an MI6 agent. Who yeah, was or, or a KGB agent and KGB uh, agent. trying to work out what Spectre was doing with, with the le- with the lector. So, uh, um, well, well, actually, I can. Okay. So based on. So I was looking at random trivia for later on, but today I discovered one that was really kind of small. So I'm going to try and justify you this, David. The, okay. In 1962, the Orient Express changed routes. And so the script was accommodated when they did the film to change the routes. So theoretically, if the express changed the routes, the staff on the train may have been new and might have not known what they were doing. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So he, he was just he was just training at the time. Mm-hmm. Oh, we, got, yeah. just, we got trainee waiter. <laughs> uh, my goodness. Um, uh, but, that, that's you, right. The, the waiter just nodded. Well, whatever you say, sir. Whatever. <laughs> do you do you think, David? That I mean, Terence Young was a sophisticated guy, right? Yeah, I know. Do you, do you think that they did the "Do you want the white or the red" to reinforce to the audience that he made a deliberate 
choice that Bond picked up on versus just asking for a yeah, line. No, do you know, I, I did wonder that because I, I thought, you know, that that's something that Terence uh, Terence Young should have known, uh, I thought. And, you know, I've... I've looked into it because uh, they, they, they tightened up all the regulations with Chianti a, a few years ago, but and you know and they used to be able to use white uh, grapes in the wines, which they, I don't think they can do at all now. But I, I, I haven't found any evidence at all of ever um, them making a white Chianti. So um, oh, I, I'm not I'm not sure I'm not sure. Maybe it was just a joke. Yeah, I, I, I think it was, I mean, this is new to me, David, you sprung this on me. I, I think that it might have just been a story te- storytelling device to say white and red make a choice. But then yes. why use why use Chianti? Yes, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, and, and they might have even done it on the set at, you know, last minute thing. I'm just, Googling white Chianti now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's a good one, David. Uh, Bill or Sean, underappreciated element. Why? Um, and underappreciated. Um, I, 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 can, know, I can go. Go Bill. ahead, Sean. Yeah. Go ahead, Sean. Uh, I, I, it's not as good as that as David's, I'm afraid. Um, but uh, we, we touched it briefly earlier in the score, in the soundtrack. Not that the soundtrack's underappreciated because everybody loves it. Um, but in particular, the new James Bond. 007 theme that John Barry introduces. I really love uh-huh. it. I think it's fab and it comes back and I think it's a wonderful it feels a little bit more adventurous and it's a great oh, what Barry does so well in his scores is sort mm. of comes back to leitmotifs all the time and uses sort of uh, recognisable themes a lot um, and it gives Barry a sort of extra thing to play with in his sandbox to the point where when you get to something like Thunderball he's then got four different melodies and light motifs to play from and you get such a wonderful rich score mm-hmm. so I think it was a really clever move by him to introduce that new little element here and I don't think it gets, yeah, gets I, enough I, I really like also that not, too. Not, not having to lean on Monty Norman <laughs> yeah <laughs> creation yeah <laughs> Um, I'll go with underappreciated simply the fact they were able to bring in Spectre and it was like a really hard thing to do. They were like rewriting well into production and the fact they brought it on made it work like well into the filming. That's that, that was great. Yeah. So for those who haven't read the book, um, Spectre was the name of the lector and it was just bond against the Russians. Right. (laughs) Yes. Right. Now now you've stolen my trivia item, though. <laughs> <laughs> so just like Goldfinger, they, I think, improved upon the book in that sense by changing that element. Um, just like they changed Goldfinger's ultimate way he was going to do it, right? Um, I think that's been lost to time a little mm-hmm. bit, that people just assumed that it was Spectre was in from Russia 11. They weren't. Well, this, well was, this was of the t- this was of the era where Fleming was calling everything Spectre, just so one of them would stick. Yeah, like, like, <laughs> he, 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 would be Spectre. Yeah, well, he, he well, was he was very very fond of that word. Yeah. Well, Maybaum and company got Bond and Tatiana off the train a lot sooner than in the novel, and then they added these two outdoor sequences. So, yeah. It, it's a very faithful adaptation for say two thirds of the movie. And then they right. <laughs> made some major changes later. 
Okay, Bill, underappreciated element. What you got? You know what? Robert Shaw, because Grant was Grant was a, like a really hard character to do. Like, like Robert Shaw's Grant did not kill things, you know, at the, you know, at the full moon. But uh, no, he was fantastic, and he really made he his Grant was like a really worthy opponent for Bond. So I'll um, I'll leave it at that. The Bond series has a history of the villains always claiming to be Bond's equal. Um, do you think Shaw's Red Grant is probably the true heir to that throne? You know what? Grant had Grant had Bond on his knees and had a gun at him. So, like, that's as close as you know you're going to get to killing Bond. Yeah. He also outplayed him for nearly all the film. Yeah, right. He yes, was running because rings around him. Yes, because there's that one scene where. Um, uh, well, there were numerous scenes, but one scene in particular when they they were on the train and like Grant is following Bond and there's this very music da 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 da, and like you know it's like boy, Grant really seems like he's got Bonds. <laughs> he has Bond where he wants him for yeah, like most of the movie. He could have picked him off any time he felt like, really, couldn't he? Yeah. And that was, and that was the point where, like you know, where Grant reminds that uh, you know he saved Bond's life at the gypsy camp. Um, a, a fun thing I read again while I was scrolling through trivia this afternoon: um, the Robert Shaw's performance in this um, was the reason that Spielberg cast him in Jaws because Spielberg really liked him. Oh. Ah, hmm. yeah, it makes sense because Spielberg was a massive Bond fan. Thankfully, never let anyone near the series. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, trivia. All right, there's a bunch of trivia online, but is there a particular fact or tidbit about the film that you personally find really interesting that you would like to share with everybody? Can I go? Yeah, because um, David's probably going to think of another one. Because I okay. Uh, l- 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 luckily, luckily, uh, <laughs> I I do have a backup. So <laughs> okay, go okay. ahead. <laughs> well. It, it goes beyond just one thing because it's very well known that uh, John F. Kennedy listed from Russia with Love as one of his ten favorite books. But there, you know, but it was the movie was also one of the last films he saw before he was assassinated. And also, members of the Kennedy assassination or who, who had been members of the administration, you know, it's like in. The spring of 64, Alan Dulles, who had been fired by JFK as CIA director, wrote a le- letter to Fleming, said, oh, I see now that uh, From Russia With Love is a movie now. I don't go to m- many movies, but I'm going to go see this one. And uh, I read that letter, so the, that's how I know this. So um, there's this association between Kennedy and From Russia With Love. It, it, it exists on many levels. So. Um, I'll leave it at that. So I've been trying to research this bill for years, and the closest I've got is apparently it was the last film screened in the White House prior to him leaving to Dallas. Yeah. But getting any kind of paper trail to prove that has not been possible, and I've reached, I've done FOIs, and I've even pinged Michael Beschloff and all these other kind of people, and nobody has documentary evidence other than hearsay. You know what, I tried to do... I tried to do a search last night <laughs> before this recording, and I 
tracked down one of Beschloss's tweets, and he said that in November of 63 that JFK saw both From Russia With Love and Tom Jones, both United Artists releases. Yeah. So, yeah, that that's as best I could do. Um, I, th- I think the line I've seen on it is, um, it's no closer than you guys really, but it was, it's in, is it William Raymond Manchester's book? Um, Death of a That's President. Right. Um, yes. It, it was screened on, I think it's like November 20th in the evening because it was private screening because obviously For Much Beloved didn't come out in America until 64. Um, so he had a private screening on the 20th of November and then he was assassinated November 22nd. So, Yes. Yes, and and I think in that book it also says that uh, when they were coming up with that list of the 10 favorite books, Pierre Salinger, who was JFK's press secretary, said, boss, we need one popular book because the list was mostly political books, uh, biographies of politicians, etc. It's like, we need something popular, and that's how that for much love got on the list it wasn't there necessarily by merit right yeah it was like staff work <laughs> sean what's your little tidbit oh my little tidbit so I, I went for so i so there was one that i picked that i figure is is quite obvious and i think a lot of people already know anyway um and that's the billboard um that opens up oh, at damn you Sorry. Well, well, you, uh, I'll leave that. And you take that. You t- no, 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 you take that, David, and I will go with no. something I discovered recently because I took a little holiday to Venice, um, and it's a random bit of pub quiz kind of trivia. This um, that I spotted. So the uh, obviously from Russia with Love takes part in Venice, Moonraker takes part in Venice, and Casino Royale takes part in Venice. Um, they're all filmed. All the locations are pretty much very sort of central to St Mark's Square. And the the shot that's on the rear projection at the end of this um, is kind of at the very bottom base end of St. Mark's Square where the two columns are, which is also the same spot where Roger Moore drives the gondola up into St. Mark's Square. And also just a little bit further down the street, I believe, if I've got this right, there'll be someone out there that's probably telling me I've made the right dog's dinner of this, but it's where they filmed outside a hotel for Casino Royale. So there is one very kind of like small spot outside St. Mark's Square where technically all three James, well, not all three, so three of the James Bonds have had mm. some kind of encounter. Mm. I, I, I... I'm so envious of you because we we were actually going to go to Venice uh, in I think it was April or May 2020. So it, it was uh, it was all booked, and then the pandemic kicked off, so we never made it to Venice. But I, I had all the Bond locations mapped out to do, and uh, yeah, there was a ton just around that area. Yeah, it, it took me by surprise. It wasn't because I was. It wasn't a reason I went for going there and I was just like well I'll check out a few Bond locations while I'm there and it just mm-hmm. so happened that I'd go to one and then I'd be like oh there's one right there and then there's one right there <laughs> but they're all from different movies and they literally basically just filmed by St. Mark's Square in all three films mm, yeah. <laughs> good stuff alright David okay right so the, the, this is a joint one with Sean so uh, the, the the trap door and uh, Anita Eckbird's Ek, well Anita Eckbird's Oh, God, I still can't say it. Uh, let's try this again. Anita Eckberg's uh, mouth. And there's the trap door. The baddie escapes down a rope and he, he, he's shot. In the book, 
it was uh, Marilyn Monroe and um, in and the the advertising hoarding was Niagara. Um, in the film, it was uh, Call Me Buana, which was a um, produced by. Was it produced by uh, Harry Saltzman? It's, it's it both produced by it was, it was by both of them. Right, right, okay, it was both of them. Yes, um, but the and the 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 trivia doesn't end there though because uh, Anita Ekberg, when I can say her name, was married to Rick Van Nusser. Uh, Felix Snyder in Thunderbolt. Yes. Yes, and that was also the first movie for Eon that uh, John Steers worked on because he did not work on Doctor No, but he did work on Call Me Buona, and then he got you know he did got uh, hired for uh, from Russia with Love. And, and I'm jump, I'm jumping on your trivia for that. No, no, no and I, I can I'm going further even further from that. This was I found this on um, someone on Reddit wrote this so I, I, again i don't know the sort of accuracy of it um but they were claiming on there that apparently at the same time uh, that harry saltzman was making call me buona he was also approached to produce um a hard day's night with the beatles and he had said something like why would i want to produce a movie about the beatles when i've got bob hope and of course the hard day's night uh, and he turned it down and of course a hard day's night went on to be a big success call me buona was also the last time monty norman actively worked with bond producers hmm. You should have gone for that anyway, Sean. <laughs> well, it, was, it was a group effort. We all did well. Yeah, yeah, true. All right, rounding up, final round is the final verdict. Um, rather than asking people to tier, uh, to, so to rank their James Bond films, we're just going to go simple. Does From Rush With Love live in your top tier, middle tier, or bottom tier of the series, and why? Uh, for me, uh, very much top because, um, as I think it was Bill said at the beginning, it, no, no, I, Sean said I think um, it's very much a Cold War thriller, and in in a way that none none of the other Bond films is, and you know, it's not really an action film at all, it, and it, in a way, it's uh, you know, it, it's a thriller prior to action movies actually mm. becoming what they are today, so. Um, I prefer the style of this film to uh, the kind of over kinetic energy of uh, of of the modern action films and the modern Bond films. It's uh, it's if if they could return to it in a way that um, you know uh, if they could return to this style in a way that didn't mean throwing everything away, then I, I'd like to do it but I, I can't really see how it's possible it, it, because it would just be it, it would mean turning back the clock and i think right. um people's expectations wouldn't be up for that do you think casino royale is probably one of the more the, the closest film that comes to it in terms of style in that format of the recent last i know 30 years um but yeah possibly yes yes um yeah. I, uh, sorry just to jump in there i think 30 years yes i think the closest one after it altogether, there would probably be living daylights for me. Uh, can I go? Um, top tier for me, it's actually my number one. And uh, I think, as I said earlier, I think it's like a really good film version of Fleming's World. And uh, you know what? You probably couldn't do it after 1963. It was just, it just, 
you know, the timing was just great. And I, but I don't think you could do it. If, if you tried to do it today, you'd have to like add some outrageous action sequence to it. The sim- similar yes. to uh, yeah. Casino Royale in 2006. So, yeah. All right, Sean, we've got two votes for top tier. How are you going to put this one? I hate this question, James. I really hate this question so much. I'm going to hold um, people's feet to the fire on this. Ah, so, it, there's no doubt that From Us With Love is a wonderfully, terrifically made movie. Uh, it's absolutely amazing. And I think if this were the only James Bond movie, if they didn't make any others, it would be held in. Uh, really quite high regard that we hold like classic films like Casablanca and stuff like that. I think it would be up there. However, I'm a millennial with quite a short attention span (laughs) and I like my silly James Bond films. And so just personally in the ranking of James Bond, it Mm -hmm. would probably usually sit somewhere in the middle just because it's one, it's one I kind of don't just throw on when I watch it. I think it's brilliant and I have a great time and I think this is an incredibly competent film but it's not a go-to for me. I kind of have to be in the mood to watch it. Totally fair. And all rankings are personal. So, all right. So that's two thumbs up and one mid-tier. That's pretty yeah, good. Mid-tier. It's, 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 it's a great, I'm not saying it's a, not a good movie. It's a brilliant movie. It's just, um, you know, sometimes I like to put Tomorrow Never Dies on more, and turn my brain off. <laughs> right. It's, it's not everyone's cup of tea, which is fine. Well, thank you, guys. And if you are venturing out to the cinema in the UK this weekend, uh, we hope you enjoy From Russia With Love. Whether you've heard this before you've gone in or you've come out, um, you can email us your opinions of the film and add notes and trivia to contact at jamesbondandfriends.com. And we'll see you next week for Goldfinger. Goodbye.